One of the most colorful figures of all the New Testament is a fellow of diminutive stature who was balding in appearance and who had a speech impediment and an eye disease with runny eyes. And he became so used of God that he became the architect of the early church. Jesus talked about the church a lot, so much that he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But all the other informative things that we have about the church came from the pensmanship of the Apostle Paul. He gave us the idea of elders. He gave us the notion of deacons and gave us the structure and responsibilities and qualifications for leaders in the church. And much of what we know about uh, uh, ecumenicity and about uh, ecclesiastical procedure, we learned that from Paul and from his pensmanship. So we owe an everlasting debt to him as the church about that. But he lived a life that uh, was oftentimes described as chaotic. Every time he got into a ship, there'd be a storm or there'd be something happen that would be of catastrophic proportions that the Lord would save him out of. In fact, he described his walk with the Lord as uh, a wrestling match or a race that he would run in which there were obstacles to overcome. In fact, he said, uh, three times I received 49 stripes, save one. Fastings off, naked and in peril, he said. Been stoned and left for dead, afloat on the sea for a day and a half. He just enumerated all kinds of the things that happened to him in his life that were, wow, just colossal in uh, opposition to who he was and what he did. And he had a destiny in his life, had a purpose for his life. Y'all know about the road to Damascus, don't you? And how he received that great light that struck him down to the ground. And he asked the question, who art thou, Lord? And then he asked, what do you want me to do? And he was told, go to the street, call straight, find Ananias. He'll pray for you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. The scales will fall off of your eyes. And then you are to be an instrument in my hand, a vessel that I will use for turning many hearts unto God. What a destiny that is. Had a promise from God this. He said, you are going to preach in the courtroom of Caesar. You'll go to Rome and you'll have an audience with Caesar and you'll stand before him in Caesar's palace in Rome. Well, I want to tell you, when God gives you a purpose and God gives you a destiny, and God has a plan for your life. I want to tell you, the devil may send a lot of obstacles and a lot of ob obstacles that come in opposition and persecution, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul described his walk with the Lord in this way. He said, the life that I now live, I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live my life, he said, by faith. And he even made that colossal statement, we walk by faith and not by sight. So for people who walk by faith and people who are energized by a belief system that says God is in control and that God will be with you until the very end, then that kind of mindset and that kind of worldview will take you a long way in achieving the purpose of God for your life. Can I speak the sentiment of us all this morning and say, I want God's will to be done in my life? Is that the way we all feel about it? 
I want God's will. I want God's purpose. I want God's plan. How many of you really believe that God has a plan for your life? Individually, God has a plan for you that God knows you so well that he knows all about you. The hairs of your head are numbered, the Bible even says. So if God knows all about me, knows my heart, knows my mind, knows all about my faith and my belief system, then thanks be to God, he is able to direct my steps if I will acknowledge him in all of my ways. And in acknowledging him, we acknowledge him through faith and we acknowledge him through obedience in our relationship with him. In Acts chapter 27, if you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn to it, Paul is in the middle of the Adriatic Sea and he encounters on this journey a violent storm that has been churning the sea into a, a fury and a, and a chaos. In fact, it is so dark from the storm clouds, he says we haven't seen the light of day in over a week. In fact, it lasted almost two weeks. It was almost 14 days without seeing sun, moon, or stars. It was so dark. In fact, that storm was given a certain name. You know, when storms and hurricanes reach a certain status, they give them a name. This one's name was Euroclidon, and that means destruction, catastrophe. In other words, this was a, a storm that was expected to be a destruction and a, expected to be a catastrophic storm that would end the life of people who found themselves sailing at that time. In fact, experienced sailors and experienced seamen knew better than to sail in the Adriatic at that particular time of year. But Paul and the centurion that was assigned to him, that was taking him to Rome, decided that they would go as far as Fair Havens. And when they got to Fair Havens, which is a port not far from Crete, that they determined that if they could just make it to one more port, they would winter there and not try to sail anymore. But the Bible said that Paul took the centurion aside and he said, God has showed me that if we try this, if we launch and we go forward, there is going to be great loss and great harm and great danger on this voyage. My advice is stay here. Let's not take the chance of sailing this route because God has told me that's a bad route to go and if you go that way, you're going to be in danger and you're going to suffer and you're going to have a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and a lot of risk. How many of you have ever had God tell you, you better not do this? Well, about a third of us said we'd admit to something like that. In fact, if everybody would be honest, we'd all raise our hand and say, yeah, God's kind of let me know something wasn't wise uh, before, but uh, I was kind of like the centurion and said, uh, well, I appreciate your opinion, but we're going to do what I want to do. Because the captain of the ship and the centurion got together and they decided, hey, it's worth the risk. And besides, I'm a great captain, and besides that, it's a worthy vessel, and it's a worthy ship. It was a ship from Alexandria. It was a grain ship, and it was hauling grain to Italy. It was on its way uh, to, to the Italian uh, province there so that they could get the grain that they needed from Egypt. How about that? So here this 
Pentecostal preacher is standing here on the dock saying, we don't need to do this. And a ship owner who sees dollar signs and a centurion who says, I need to get this guy to Rome as quickly as I can, said it's worth the risk, let's go, let's sail. So against Paul's advice, was it 276, Don? Is that the number the Bible said? 276 souls got on that ship and headed out with them, headed for Rome. Well, that's a noble thing, but you're traveling at a wrong time and you're traveling against the advice of God and you're traveling against the advice of experienced seamen, but you say, I'm going to go ahead anyway. Well, what we need to realize is that when you put yourself in harm's way, you usually get what you'd expect to happen. Right. You see, when you put the certain mixture together, the chemistry is going to probably produce what you thought it would. And there's a reason why seamen don't sail at that time. No doubt there had been many times before that people had tried that and suffered shipwreck and lost the ship and lost their lives. You know, if we could just take the example of people who've done that before us and said, well, I need to learn that lesson. I don't need to be so hard-headed that I'm just going to go on like a stubborn bull and uh, experience the same thing that's happened to somebody else. If it's happened to them, it could happen to me. But see, it's arrogant for us to say, well, that'll never happen to me. Famous last words. Yeah, that's the way other people, but this is me. And that'll never happen to me. Preacher, preach all you want to. Bible, tell me all you want to tell me. But this is me. This is not everybody else. And things like that don't happen to me. Come on, somebody. And don't act like you've never done that. You've been at that point sometimes in your life when you acted just as stubborn as this centurion did. You were told by an advised, you better not do that. That's not something you need to do. Other Christians told you, you better not do that. Other friends of yours told you, said, hey, if you've got any sense at all, you won't do that. So against all the advice and against all the preaching, against all the testimony of people that love you, you just stubbornly just go right on. And surprise, 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 as Gomer says, you run into a storm. And then want to act like that's such a surprise to you. Yeah, you're not going to believe what's happened to me. Come on. Oh, and suddenly, buddy, it's all over the news. Because tell everybody, tell everybody what happened to me. Ain't it awful what's happened to me? Well, my Lord, the devil did it to me. The devil just sent a storm out there and my ship just found itself in angry waves. Well, I'm not so sure the devil did it. Is you just made a bad decision. Being as we're voting so well today, 
How many would say, Pastor, there have been times in my life when I made a bad decision? How many would say, and I suffered the consequences for it? Yeah, there you go. Boy, we're voting unanimous now. Bad decisions. Bad decisions result in bad consequences. You remember the sermon that I preached not long ago about guardrails? Remember those? When I, I told you that hitting the guardrail is a whole lot better than going over the cliff. The guardrail is there for a reason. It's there to tell you if you keep going like you're going, you're going to go over the cliff. And I've just come by here to tell you, don't do this. A guardrail is just a, a device that's put there to make you think for a minute, hey, I don't need to go that way. And to crash into a guardrail is one thing. But to go over the cliff is a whole different thing. When we don't pay attention to God's guardrails, things God has put in place to help us think about this. You know, I get tickled at Rachel sometimes. She'll look at Bentley when he's misbehaving and she'll say, you better think about that. You better think about that, boy. Hey, wouldn't it be good if God could just say to us sometime when we're about to do something stupid, that God would say, hey, you better think about that. Well, I just came by here today to tell you, you better think about that. Before you crash through that guardrail, better think about that. Or that sign on the side of the road that says, bridge out. Well, may, it may be out for some people, but it's not out for me. Because I'm not like everybody else, you know. It's bridge out for them people that, uh, you know, they're not like me. For me, that's not bridge out. I'll find a way somehow. Put the pedal to the metal. And next thing you know, boom. Oh, pastor, please come. I've crashed. Come on, somebody. The devil wrecked my car. No, the devil didn't wreck it. You didn't pay attention. You can't get this nowhere else now. <laughs> you can only get this right here. What I'm trying to tell you is when God's word sends up a, a warning, and it says, whosoever does these things is not wise. It says over and over, don't do this now. If you do this, if you make that choice, then there's bad consequences. In fact, the Bible said, strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It tells you if, if you go out in springtime and you, you're lazy and you get drunk and hang out, hang out and don't plant seeds and you, you don't till the ground and you don't work at the crop, then when harvest time comes, you'll go hungry. 
Why would the Bible tell us that story? It tells us that story because if you don't do right things, then you're going to reap bad results. It's as simple as that. So when the centurion and the owner of the ship said, we're, we're going to go anyway, don't care what Paul says, we're going to go anyway. Now, I want to tell you something. It's good to have somebody on board that knows God. You are blessed to have somebody on board your ship that knows God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to be glad you set by me today. <laughs> Praise God. Look at the neighbor on the other side. She didn't hear you. Going to be glad you set by me because I'm fixing to find out something right here that's going to help me. Amen. When I get up and leave this service today, I'm going to have a, a renewed spirit and a strengthened heart. And I'm going to have an attitude that is faithful to God. I, I'm going to leave here with a yearn and a desire to have God's purpose and God's plan in my heart. So the 13th verse of that 20th, 7th chapter says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose. In other words, starting out, everything looked good. The so soft, soft wind from the south blew softly. And it looked like, hey, we made the right choice here. That preacher wasn't right after all. These south southerly warm winds that are blowing have took that winter's chill away. And I am so glad we didn't listen to that preacher. It looked like, is that what the scripture said? It looked like they had achieved their purpose. They saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and they set sail along the shore of Crete. What was happening? It looked like everything was well, and they sailed. But not long after, verse 14, put that up there. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. Somebody say, it had to happen. It had to happen. It had to happen. You know, there are some things that if you do certain things, it's got to happen. I don't know why in the world that we think we can put in certain ingredients and get a different product. I don't know why we think that we can cook our pottage and expect it to come out cornbread or something. You see, you're going to get out of it what you put in it. Marriage, business, family, whatever it is, you're going to get out of it what you put in it. It's like the little preacher's boy. The preacher and the little boy was at church that day and the pastor put the pans out there on the outside of the foyer and, and uh, reached in his pocket and he got a dollar bill and he put it in the offering plate right there on that side and put one on the offering plate on the other side and his little boy said, Daddy, why'd you do that? 
He said, I want these people to know what these pans are here for. They're not decor, they're here for a purpose. So I want them to see some money in these pans. Well, when church dismissed and they started walking out the door, the pastor and his little boy, and he looked over to the pan on the left and there's a dollar bill in it. And he looked over on the right and the pan and there's another dollar in that one. And he looked up at his daddy and he said, well, daddy, one thing's for sure. If you'd have put more in, you'd have got more out. Sometimes reality just slaps you in the face, doesn't it? Whatever you put into a situation, that's what you're going to get. If you won't listen to godly counsel, then a storm is bound to happen. That's just word of God. It says, he that being often reproved, that being often reproved, or in other words, corrected and told better, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his heart and stiffeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. In other words, the storm is certain. It's got to happen. It's bound to happen. If you put certain ingredients in, that's what you're going to get. The Bible said, and every heart that rebels against God will suffer a terrible, terrible defeat. You just can't win when you go against God and you go against godly counsel. Paul had warned them of the disaster that was coming. In other words, he said, if you keep traveling on this road, you're headed for destruction. You see, when we ignore the word of God, ignore the spokesman, the preacher that preaches God's word, then sooner or later, you're going to come to grips with the fact that I've made a bad decision. I should have listened. That storm was so violent that the Bible said they, they tore down the tackle of the ship. In other words, they took the mast down, they took the sails down and threw them over into the sea. It wasn't long before they started getting the grain, the, the wealth, and they threw it over and they realized it's making this place too heavy. This ship is too heavy. We're going to sink if we keep this grain on board. We need to lighten the ship. And they began throwing it overboard. See, sometimes the storm can be such that you realize that things don't matter. Sometimes you'll realize that what I thought was my purpose It's no longer my purpose. My purpose used to be to get this grain to Italy and I'm going to put money in my pockets and I'm going to to get wealthy because of what I'm doing. That's my purpose, but my purpose has now changed. And my purpose is no more about that grain. My purpose now is about me and my life and whether I'm going to make it through this storm or not. Things don't matter when you get to a place that survival is your goal. You see, things won't get you through the storm. Possessions won't get you through the difficulty. Wealth, prosperity, material things just won't help you when you get to a place where survival is your purpose. You see, when you get into a storm like that, then purposes change. Purposes change. 
And now the purpose is, how are we going to save our lives? How are we going to save our lives? That storm, look at verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Brother, when the storm gets so great that you despair, when the storm gets so great that you lose hope, when the storm becomes so enormous and so catastrophic that you see no future and no way can you ever survive the violence of that storm. And you realize, I'm probably going to go under and I'm probably going to be killed in this because I don't see any way out. Have you ever been in a situation where hopelessness set in? Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't say any way, any possible way that you were going to make it through that? Have you ever been in a situation or circumstance so hard and so difficult that you gave up? The landscape is strong with many, many lives that have given up. On the sea of life, there are many floating bodies of people who gave up, people who lost hope, people who saw no way of surviving the violence of the storm. That's called deep, deep despair. They accepted defeat. Oh God, I hope we never get to that they accepted defeat and had no strength and no faith to believe that things could ever be different for them. Could I tell you that I meet people like that every week? Could I tell you that I, I talk with people, they call, would you meet me at such and such a place and let's have a cup of coffee, I need to talk to you. And they walk in and they sit down and they tell me their story. And they end their story by saying, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I've lost all hope. There's no reason to believe that I can survive it. You see, when the storm takes all your strength away, when the storm drains you of all your faith, when the storm pulls and saps every ounce of spiritual strength in you out, and you say, I just don't know how I can ever make it. Look at verse 20 through 21, chapter 20, 20, verse 20 and 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said this, Men, you should have taken my advice. Now, he's like the rest of us. Debbie loves to tell me when I have made a mistake, I told you so. And don't you act like that sweet little thing had never told you, I told you so. Boy, those are just old hollow words, aren't they? That just kind of 
knock the breath out. I told you. I told you so. Don't you love it when your mama says, I told you you shouldn't have married him. I told you he was worthless. I told you he wasn't. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate it when you've got that deal of a lifetime and you pull some money out and put it in, in something that you think is going to make you a rich person and find out it was all a scam and you lost it all? And your wife says, I told you. I told you. Whew. Boy, you may know it, but you sure don't like to hear it, do you? So Paul just stood up and said, I told you, I told you, I told you, if you had just listened to me, boy, you hate that one too, don't you? If you would just have listened to me, if you would have taken my advice and not sailed from Crete, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. But now, say those two words with me, but now. What does that mean, Pastor? It means I've turned the page. We're tired of playing the why game. We're tired of playing the blame game. It's your fault that we're in this mess because you wouldn't listen to me. And Paul said, but now. And so thankful am I for the but now, aren't you? Because if you keep trying to find the reason and you keep asking why, 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 I wish that I could tell you why. Over the 32 years I've pastored this church, I have tried to answer that question many, many times. Why? Why? did my child get sick and eventually die? Why did my granddaughter get killed in that car wreck? Why did my husband die with that awful disease of cancer? Why, why, Pastor, why? Why did my mother have to go that way? Why did my family have to suffer? And I, I do the comment, well, you know, that sin curse, you know, that we all inherited from Adam. And, and you know, uh, the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, you know. And I try my best to find out a why and satisfy somebody with a why. And we'll understand it better by and by. But I've come to find out that I can never answer that question, why? Because I look through a glass darkly and I can't understand. God knows all about me, but I don't know all about Him. His ways are so far above my ways as far as the heaven is above the earth. He is past finding out. I can't comprehend Him. I can never give His definition for why. I can never, ever find out why this happened or why that happened or why something else happened. I can't answer the why question. But I can answer another question. Though I don't know why, I know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. 
though I can't answer why. I can tell you that his grace is sufficient for me in everything that I go through. And though I can't tell you the whys of what happened, I can tell you this, that we are made more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. I can't tell you the reason why, but I can tell you that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't answer all of your questions about why this happened and why that occurred, but I can tell you as blessed is that person whose trust is in the Lord, for he shall never be disappointed and his foot shall never be moved. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. God will stand by you and God will strengthen you. God will carry you through. That come what may, my heavenly Father watches over me. Never in this lifetime will I ever be ever to, able to satisfy the why question. But I'll tell you this, if we keep trying to find reason, and if we keep trying to find out why, we will drown in the waters of our situation. The day we'll start getting better is when we stop blaming and when we stop trying to find out the reason and why. Because God says there's a purpose for everything. Everything God's hand has already filtered it before it ever got to me. And God will take care of it all. God will take care of it all. So I've got a choice. I can keep trying to wrestle with the reason why. And I can keep treading that water trying to stay afloat. Asking everybody I see. Can you tell me why this happened to me? I can keep reliving my story and telling it over and over to everybody, but that won't make me any better off. At the end of the day, it is what it is. And the crux of the matter is this. Jesus took care of it all when he saved me. Jesus took care of it all. Things that had caused me to stumble and fall. Yes, Jesus took care of it all. I'm here to tell you today as a preacher of the gospel that Jesus has taken care of it all. He nailed it to his cross. He suffered and he died a sacrificial death for us so that we could be in relationship, right relationship with God, so that God's grace and God's mercy could prove itself over and over and over in our lives to sustain us through every storm and every difficulty that comes. But now, now that all the blame and all the read, we've got past that, but now. Can somebody say, but now? But now. I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only this ship will be destroyed. Well, you know Pentecostal preachers are a little weird. They say things that don't make sense. A lot of times, when that 
balding prophet named Elijah defeated those prophets of Baal and a young preacher named Elisha on whom the mantle fell. He preached some strange sermons. When the famine was on and there was nothing to eat and people were resorting to cannibalism, they sought the life of Elisha and backed him up against the wall. And the Bible said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. What does that mean, Pastor? For a preacher, when your back's against the wall, come out preaching. He came out preaching. When they wanted to kill him, he came out preaching. When they hated him for what he represented, he came out preaching. And he said, tomorrow, about this time, there'll be food for everybody, and there'll be lots to eat, and there'll be good times about this time tomorrow. You've got to be kidding me. A Pentecostal preacher preaching that times are going to change so much that we hadn't got anything to eat today, but in 24 hours, we're going to have all we need to eat and more. When Paul stood up on the bow of that ship and the wind was blowing and the storm was howling and the waves lapping over into the ship and he looks at every one of them and he says, Be of good cheer! Are you crazy? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? Be of good cheer. Don't you realize where we are here? Don't you get it? Just look around you and look at this storm and look at that spray hitting you in the face. That's real, man. That's reality. Don't preach that sky pie in the sky somewhere to me. I'm talking about real right here where the rubber meets the road. This is reality. The storm is on. And you're telling me be of good cheer? Well, you must know something that I don't know. Why should I be of good cheer and keep my courage up? Because not a one of you is going to be lost. Oh, you're kidding me. You got to be kidding me, man. You're pulling my leg. You're crazy as a bicycle. Have you lost your mind? See, when you're preaching to hopeless people, when you're preaching to people that are in utter despair, you're preaching to people that hadn't got a leg to stand on, you're preaching to people that cannot muster enough strength to possibly believe that God could do something, and then you tell people like that, not a one of us, is going to be lost. And then he tells you the reason why. Last night, last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all of those who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen, it will happen, it will happen just like he told me. Oh, 
Oh yeah, the storm had to happen because of the circumstances and bad decisions I've made. But when God says, I'm going to take care of this, then it's got to happen. When God says, I'm going to save your life, not a one of you is going to be lost, it has got to happen. Can you say that with me? It has got to happen. Why? Because God said, because God said, I will do it. And when God says it, God means it. And when God says it, it will happen just like he says. You see, things don't really matter when you're in the midst of that storm. When God says to you, I'm going to see you through this. I'm going to get you through this. You know, it's tough to deal with situations when everybody advises you you ain't going to make it. About a year and a half ago, everybody I talked to told me, you're not going to make it. It would have been easy just to fold your tent and just believe what you were being told. And this is a good one. Went to the executive committee of the Church of God worldwide, sat in their chamber with them, laid out, here's what we need God to do. And I love Raymond Culpepper, he's my friend for life. But he looked at me and gave the same stuff I tell you sometimes. Well, Brother Jerry, you know how country, well, Brother Jerry, what we'll probably just have to do is just pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Are you kidding me? The only plan we got is pray about it. The only hope we got is pray about it. The only answer that we can find is pray about it. Man, I'm looking for money. And you're telling me, pray about it? Come on, Raymond. Get real, man. This is the real world here. Well, Brother Jerry, we'll just pray about it. Well, how does that help me? My God, I'm the one under the gun. Come on, somebody. I believe I'll go in here and talk to these folks. No, we can't do that. Y'all don't make the, make, make the quotas. Well, okay, I'll go over here. I'll talk to you. No, I'm sorry. The, the, the ratios is just not right. Uh, no, we're not a big enough bank to handle a loan like that. And you just go, 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 and it's no, no, no. Well, Brother Jerry, we just going to pray about it. And you finally get to the place you just say, hey, batten down the hatches, boys. Looks like the storm is coming. And it's easy to start counting your, yeah, 
But if it's God's will, and it's God's purpose, and it's God's plan, and if it's the destiny, are you hearing this, Pastor? Storms may come, but the storm will not change God's destiny. The storm may come, but the storm won't change God's purpose and change God's plan. If it's God's plan and it's God's purpose, somehow he will get you through the storm. I said somehow he'll get you through the storm. On Thursday, when we were winding down, we were in the reject pile at the last source in the refused pile. Boy, you're looking now. You're interested in all this, aren't you? How do you get out of the refused pile and get in the approved pile? How does God get you out of one stack and get you over in another stack. The executive vice president called me and he said, I need to talk to you. He said, I know that Terry, Todd, Melissa are all handling this. He said, but I need to talk to you. I said, well, I'll try my best to talk to you as best I can then. And he started asking, what kind of ministry do y'all do? What do you do? I started talking about county jail on Thursday night. I started talking about supporting a missionary in Ecuador. Started talking about third Saturday that we give away food to families. That last year we gave away boxes, 800 boxes at Thanksgiving. Give toys for tots and we do ministry. Do ministry. After I got through talking with him and praying with him, you prayed for an executive vice president? I sure did. Told him, said, before I let you go, I need to pray for you. I said, because you've got decisions to make, and I want you to make the decision God wants you to make. This was the guy up here in Nashville. And he calls a guy in Chattanooga, And that guy in Chattanooga calls me and he said, Brother Jerry said, I don't know how to explain this to you, but said, y'all got out of one stack and got into another stack. I said, well, which stack did we get in? He said, you got in the approved stack. See, when you think the storm is at its worst and when you think that there's no way, God specializes, God specializes in things thought impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. You see, if you're in the will of God and you're in the purpose and the plan of God, if you've got a destiny in God, the storms may come. But thanks be to God, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. But he'll get you through the mess. He'll get you through the chaos. 
He'll get you through all the trouble and the threat and the violence of the storm because he has willed and purposed that you will fulfill your destiny. Glory to God. But I like that. Scroll on down to that last verse because they think that's probably the end of the sermon and it's just getting good. That last verse on my script up there that I handed you, it says, nevertheless. Can anybody say nevertheless? Has there ever been some neverthelesses in your heart? Ever been any neverthelesses in your life? I said, have you ever had any neverthelesses? Yes, the storm is on. Yes, it looks like we're going to a watery grave. Yes, we've tied the boat together with ropes to hold it together. Yes, but nevertheless. Yeah, the doctor said I wouldn't live spring. Yeah, the doctor gave me a bad report, but nevertheless, nevertheless. Brother, if you could ever see into that world of nevertheless, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. It hadn't even got a name. What island is it? For some, that island's called divorce. For some, that island's called cancer. For some, that island is called financial ruin. For some, that, that island is called problems, domestic problems. But I'll tell you, you may wash ashore the ship that you have been trusting in. That thing that has carried you so far that can't carry you no further. Woo! That thing that you've had confidence in to keep you afloat, that thing that you've had your trust in has come apart and you've washed up on some island. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. But you're not going to be lost. You're going to be saved. No matter what island you may have washed up on this morning, I don't know what kind of island of life's sea that you may have washed up on, but I'm here to tell you today that the things you've trusted in up until now, you need to abandon that and start trusting in one thing, and that's the one that spared your life, the one that set you on the course you're on, that you're on that island because God put you there and you've only got one thing. Hadn't got all your things. Can't trust in them no more. They're in the bottom of the sea. Can't trust in anything else. All you got is your clothes on your back. And in the final analysis, when it comes to dealing with your soul and God, that's all you got. Because he's not impressed by the size of your bank account. He's not impressed with how many square feet's in your house. He's not impressed by your wealth or your prosperity or your status or your fame. There's only one thing you've got, and that's you walk into his presence and you say, all I've got is my soul. All I've got is my soul. And I don't have anything else to trust in. All I can trust in is you, God. You're the one that is the source of my life. 
You're the one that's keeping me alive. You're the one that gives me strength day by day. You're the one that gives me grace sufficient to live this life. You're the one who gives me the energy. I can do all things through you, and apart from you, I cannot do anything. Wow. Stand with me, please. Praise his name. I love him. Sing with me. I love him because he first loved me and purchased my salvation on Calvary. I love him. I love him because he first loved me and purchased my salvation on Calvary. Oh, blessed be God. Can we close these aisles up and let's just come together right here. That's right, just walk across and take the hand of that person beside you. That's right. There you go. There you go. I want us to pray a prayer today. There we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. How many of you have ever found yourself at a storm because of somebody else's bad decision? Ever been in a situation where you were in a storm because of somebody else's bad decision? Let me tell you what God does. God takes bad decisions that are made by people and turns them around and uses them for good. There were some brothers of Joseph that one day while out in the field they rose up and were about to slay him and about to take his life. Bad decision. Threw him in a pit. Intended to kill him. Sold him into slavery. Bad decision. Talk about suffering because of somebody else's bad decision. 17 years in Potiphar's house, in prison, all the things he went to. But when he stood with his brothers in his court and they were kneeling before him as the ruler in Egypt, he said these words, you made a bad decision 17 years ago and you meant it for evil, but God, but God took your bad decision and turned something into good. Come on, somebody. Some things that happen to you 
They happen to you so God can position you into a place to recognize and realize your destiny. You remember in the 11th chapter of John when Martha and Mary's brother died. His name was Lazarus. And they sent word to Jesus. Are you listening? Sent word to Jesus. Lazarus, your friend that you love is sick. Would you please come and heal him? And Jesus waited four more days. And then word came, don't worry about getting here now, he's dead. And Jesus even said these words, he said, Lazarus is dead. And in that 13th verse of that 11th chapter, Jesus said, I'm glad he died. What? You're glad your friend died? Why in the world, Jesus, are you glad that Lazarus died? Because there's going to be a revelation. Now we can't work with reasons why, but we can work with revelation. Jesus said, something's gonna happen when I go. He actually, he said, he's sleeping. And the disciples said, well, if he's just sleeping, why do we need to go? Jesus said, he's dead. And when he beats Martha, she says, Oh, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, well, I'm glad he died. Because he died, I'm going to prove to you who the resurrection is. Because he died, I'm going to do a revelation that he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. I'm going to do a, a, a lesson. I'm going to show you an a, a image, a, a visual lesson that you'll learn, you'll know that I am the resurrection and I am the life. And when he stood before the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible said, and Jesus wept. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said, activity was observed in the tomb. And out came Lazarus and Jesus said, take those grave clothes off of him. Wow, what happened? Revelation. You see, God reveals who we are and who he is in the storm. So the Bible says for us to rejoice in storm times. Count it all joy when you go through divers temptations. Why? Because there's a revelation about to be given. If you can get past reason and why and blame and can look for the revelation, you'll find that God's teaching something in the middle of the storm. Praise God. I want you this morning to pray for that person whose hands you hold. The Bible said pray one for another that you may be healed. Not pastors, but pray one for another. And the Bible said, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands upon one another and pray and they'll be healed. 
Will you do that with me right now? Lord Jesus, I lift my hand over this congregation today and I pray a prayer of healing and a prayer of revelation. Many of them, O oh Lord, are in the midst of a storm as I speak. Many of them, O oh Lord, are feeling the pangs of hurt and sorrow in their heart because of some storm that's going on in their life. And they don't understand, Lord, and they're asking questions. Why? Why did this happen to me? Why did this come my way? But God, in your infinite wisdom, you have a revelation for someone today. You're going to help somebody see today, O oh Lord, that you are revealed in times of sorrow, in times of distress, that you become so real in our heart. You're the resurrection and the life. You're the healer. You're the emancipator. You set people free in the midst of all of their bondage. God, would you just do all that you do in this service today, right now, all over this house. I pray, God, that in the midst of the storm, there would be a beautiful morning and a sunrise. Now lift those hands right up to God. There you go. And just say to God, Lord, I praise you for the revelation. I praise you for the revelation today, God. I praise you for the lesson learned. I praise you that in everything you are more than conqueror. We're more than conquerors. That you are all and in all. You become our everything. Praise God. Now give him some hand clap of praise and worship him right now. Let me tell you this in departing. 13th verse said, and as they were washing ashore, the sun became coming up for a new day. 14 days without sun, without stars, without moon, and when they washed up on the island with no name, the sun started coming up. 14 days of darkness, and when they washed up on the island, the sun started coming up. Weeping may endure for a night season, but joy comes in the morning. And Amos 5 and 8, seek him who is able to turn your night of sorrow into a glorious morning. Oh, I hope you have a great morning when you walk out that door. Today you're going to say, take that, devil. <laughs> Amen. Pastor nailed your hide to the wall this morning. Praise God. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God bless you and God go with you is my prayer. Hope you have the greatest day today ever in Jesus' name. Amen.